Welcome in, friends, to the Dubcast. Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter, doing it for you, plausibly live, the day before <laughs> that you finally get it. But uh, no, no, we, we, we're very excited because this is a podcast that you'd want to do, right? And this is probably a podcast you want to listen to from the standpoint of you just saw the most, what, comprehensive early season win in Ohio State in how long? I mean, I got to watch my hyperbole with this stuff. But, Johnny, I did not foresee this. Um, I, I, I thought there was a great chance that this game would go down to the end. I thought both teams would score a lot of points. In my wildest imagination, I did not see that type of comprehensive beatdown of a national power in their backyard that was a wounded animal that had to have a win. I just never would have guessed it would have gone down that way, my friend. And watching it, I was in disbelief. <laughs> well, was, okay, so you're in disbelief, but I think you, you felt that they actually had a chance to win the game. Yeah, I'm I thought they were going to lose, yeah. you know, potentially by double digits, like 10 or 12 points. So I had... Yeah. Like I just, I felt like I just got run through a buzzsaw in, in a good way. Like I right. enjoyed the fact that it's they a won. Good surprise. But, uh, yeah, I was. You know, the secondary looks like the best secondary in the nation. JT Barrett right. looks like he's recaptured his form from the first year he started. Uh, everybody looks amazing. They're going to win the national championship. Why do we right. even talk about it anymore? Because it's a foregone conclusion. I don't know. I mean, like, it, I didn't expect. The biggest thing I didn't expect is the fact that. You have a guy, and again, Noah Brown is a dude who was lightened up in practice, and of course, mm-hmm. he got hurt last year, and everybody had big expectations for the guy. But I didn't expect him to come out and have four freaking touchdowns. Like, right? That, well, no, yeah, right. Who stuff, would? That that's from established players, right? Like people who have shown you, like, okay, we're watching this guy's progression. We, you know, expect something like this down the line. You don't some, you see somebody put that together in one game, right? For like no reason. Like it, it's it is mind boggling the kind of coaching that has taken place in such an incredibly short period of time with some players who have only been in the program for like, honestly months, like less than that. even, Right. Like a month and a half with some of these guys who are making an impact on the football field, on the road against an incredibly, you know, like big time, historically important opponent. It just, I don't know. I'm, I'm at a loss. It was for desperate. I mean, Oklahoma it. had to have it. Bob Stoops said we had to have yeah. it. You know, we, we had to have it. I mean, the Oklahoma was poised for this. The state of Oklahoma had waited for this game for how long? The, the people who, who follow that program have waited for it for how long? I mean, this was Ohio State coming into town. This was a powerhouse. Some of the luster was off for them because they lost to Houston, but they needed it. I mean, they had to have it. Right. Let's go through some of the issues, some of the things you brought up one by one, because I think all kind of deserve to be expanded upon. And let's start with JT Barrett. I believed and said on this uh, program last week that this was the referendum game on JT Barrett. This was his game. This was the the game where he needed to be great. I said they couldn't win unless he was great, um, and he was. Johnny, he was, he was who I thought he could be, and I've seen so many flashes of in the past, but never on a stage quite like this one in terms of all of the bright lights that were spotted, lighted, lighted right on him. He he basically played a perfect game i mean there's not much you can you know quibble with with this thing like this kid played off his ass and and what you got was like the the perfect offensive uh storm and he led it and i'm happy for him that he got it because i remember this vividly from when ohio state made the run to the national championship there you know obviously that was such a storybook situation you couldn't script anything more absurd than what happened that year in 2014 but I, I think there is a human element to both JT Barrett and Braxton Miller. I don't blame either one of them. And I don't think either one would even ever admit it. 
But I remember in certain instances looking over as Ohio State was celebrating maybe a beatdown over Alabama or even the national championship or uh, the win over Wisconsin, looking over and seeing almost a look of like a stone face. Hmm. Like, how am I not a part of this? You know, like, sure, right. I'm on the team. They wouldn't have gotten here without me. But right. how am I? This is my damn team. And it was with Braxton and it, JT both. And that's just the human. I mean, any of us in their shoes, I think, would have had a similar feeling, you know, like, damn it, this is, I'm the one who finished fifth in the Heisman. I'm the reason we're here. I'm not saying that he would, there was no jealousy or anything, but probably just a sense of melancholy that you were not the, the one doing it and that you've done it this whole time. And this would have been so cool if I was a bigger part of this. And here I am in this boot, you know, wheeling around on the sidelines. And so for him to have a moment like this, and he's going to have a lot more, I mean, he's got a lot more this season. If you look at their <laughs> schedule and where they're going, he's yeah. got a lot of these moments, but I was so happy for him to kind of get to have this huge spotlight and then just ball out the way he did. Well, the thing is like what impresses me the most about JT Barrett is not the fact that he's throwing for 300 yards every game or the fact that he's, you know, I don't know. He's a Brax Miller type is running for 150 yards when he has to, although he's capable of doing that, but just his total command of the offense, like utter complete command. I mean, they respect him just as much as they respect Urban Meyer. That dude is automatic in terms of what's going on on the field, where people need to be. I mean, you watch it in the huddle, you see people as they're going to the line, everybody looks to him. And that's what you want out of a leader, that's what you want out of a quarterback. The dude was 14 for 20 for 152 yards, right? Passing. And right. and people look at that and go, "Oh, that's a mediocre stat line." But you're absolutely right. He made every single decision perfectly. He read yeah. their defense perfectly. There's a there's a gif that's been going around where people are like watching uh, Oklahoma's defense in complete disarray as JT Barrett yeah. is just like a maestro, right? He's just directing players on the field and they have no idea how to keep up with them. And that's what I man, that that is the quarterback that I want to see for Ohio State. I don't need a gunslinger. I just need a guy who's a field general who will get out there and and just have the complete and total command and respect of everybody else on that field. And that's what you have in JT Barrett. And I, I, I love the dude. Like he's probably one of my favorite quarterbacks for Ohio state, maybe ever. I mean, it's, it's awesome to watch yeah. him do that. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's a nice mix of, um, cause he has the big playmaking ability too. We've seen it over the years, but he's, he's a nice mix of that. But then there were moments, you know, when you'd watch Braxton when he was at his best, when you'd go, Oh God, don't throw it there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, yeah. You know, like, oh no, don't do that. Or God, good Lord, don't get hurt. That was the big one. Oh God, don't get hurt. Like every right. time he would take off running, you were like, just get your ass out of bounds. Don't get hurt. And and with JT, there's really none of that. There's such a sense of calm and stable right. and all of it. He really you use field general maestro, all those things. He's all those things. And he's a hell of a football player, too. So this was his this was his night. And 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 he was upstaged a little bit by, by the <laughs> other guy you brought up, Noah Brown who I first started hearing about Noah Brown. We started hearing whispers of him from camp the spring before. Let me see, get this right. The spring before last year. So last year in camp, the whispers really took over that this kid was the best receiver on the roster, right? right. If you think about it, that was a roster that had Michael Thomas and Braxton Miller. But all of the whispers were that Noah Brown was the best receiver on the roster. You talk to people around the program, like, yeah, wait till you see this Noah Brown kid, this kid. So, like, when they had that injury, when he got hurt last year, that was devastating. It was a devastating blow. And at the time, many of us were like, I mean, how big can it be? I mean, they still got Thomas. They got Miller. They'll plug another guy in. They'll be fine. Well, now you see. And right. you mentioned, you know, a kid having a four-touchdown game like that on that stage 
like he waited till the biggest moment of his young career to have his coming out party. And he made the best one of the, you know, one of the better catches I've ever seen in, in my time covering Ohio state. The only one I've seen that was probably better was the one from, uh, in just because of circumstances, one Michael Thomas made against Alabama on the reverse oh, pass yeah. from Evan Spencer. I mean, that's that's one of the greatest plays in the history of Ohio State, and it's with all that mattered in that one. But this one was maybe even a more difficult catch. And you know, it's one of those ones you'll remember forever. But Mike and I was struck by what JT Barrett said post game when he said that you know his hands are like suction cups, and if you watch the game, <laughs> J- Johnny, they've never had a guy like this in the no. ten years I've been around the program, like a big physical kid who can go catch jump balls. He's really reminiscent of like a David Boston type, like Terry Glenn. Like it's, he is a different kind of wide receiver and you're right. They haven't had a guy like that in a really long time. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I was sitting there watching the game and, and I'm generally, I'm pretty like even handed when it comes to, to Ohio state football. I don't get too high or too low while we're watching the, the games, but I lost my mind when that happened. I remember I was sitting there with my girlfriend yeah. and she was going, is that legal? Can he do that? Can he do that? Are you allowed to do that? And I'm like, you know what? That's a perfectly reasonable question to ask because right. if you didn't know otherwise, you you would you would assume that was just some insane wizardry that could not be allowed, and it happened. And it was it, I I lost it. I just like that's yeah. it. Like any assumption I had or any any doubt that I had that maybe this team wasn't quite where I thought they would be. Well, I'm I'm an idiot and wrong because that's literal magic. And that I don't I don't know. I lost my mind. That was crazy. It was, uh, it was, and only, only going to get better. And he, he and JT's chemistry is only going to get better and better offensively before we get to the defense and the, the, the group that I've coined Ramsey Bolton's starving dogs. Uh, before <laughs> we get to that, let's do, um, I want to touch on the fact that Mike Weber and Curtis Samuel outrushed Mixon and Piron. Yeah. That's a credit to both sides. It's a credit to the line of scrimmage on both sides. Ohio State's offensive line, which, my God, it's crazy what Ed Werner does. Like, if, if anybody, like, people can bitch about the play calling or whatever ever since Tom left. And really, they complained about it when Tom was here, too. But they can complain about the play calling or the court, whatever. What Ed Werner does on your offensive line, they're not paying him enough as quickly <laughs> as he gets an offensive line in order. I mean, it's incredible what he can do. He did it in 2014. He's doing it again this year. They controlled the line of scrimmage. And and the fact that Mike went over 120, I think Curtis had like 90. Um, they averaged like seven or eight yards a carry between the two of them. That's just crazy. And the fact that they outplayed Mixon and Piron, and some of that's to the Ohio State defense too, because the Ohio State defense really held those guys down. And basically the same thing happened to Oklahoma that happened against Houston, except they played a better team. They got behind and they bailed on the run and it was over quick. But the way that Weber and Sam on the offensive line worked, Boy, Johnny, you keep going like, all right, where's a weakness going to be? Well, maybe right. Mike Weber's not as special as Zeke Elliott. Maybe he's not yet, but he might get there. Maybe the offensive line's young. I mean, they're starting a true freshman, and yet here they go. Like, they're fine. <laughs> they handle yeah. it. I mean, the strength of this Oklahoma team, one of the strengths was their defensive line. They got manhandled. Right, and I, I actually – Mike Weber is really a guy that I wanted to touch on real quick because I think he had probably the most underrated game uh, of anybody who played on Saturday. And, I mean, the dude ran for 123 yards, about 6.8 per carry, which is by itself amazing. But one of the things that I, I wanted to point out about this game, Ohio State ran a really, really unbalanced offense, right? I mean, I think they, they had about 20 passing attempts, uh, about almost 50 rushing attempts total. Like, it was not a balanced game plan, but you can make that work if you have running backs who are rushing for seven or nine yards a carry. And especially Kelly like Mike Weber, who was literally just stepping into this role, right? With with almost no experience on this gigantic stage, like you said, running into the teeth of this, you know, supposedly amazing defensive line. 
if you have players like that, you can make almost anything happen. And I look, I don't want or need Mike Weber to really be Ezekiel Elliott right now. He just has to be Mike Weber. And right now what I've seen is is more than enough to allow guys yeah. like Noah Brown and Curtis Samuel to do their thing. So I think he had a brilliant game. I think people need to talk about it a little bit more or not just to keep him under wraps a little bit. But uh, he's going to be a huge impact player, especially in the last couple months of the season. What you're getting out of the offense, one more point on that before we move on to the defense. What you're getting out of the offense right now is one that has – it's it's a Swiss Army knife is what it yeah. is. I mean, there's no there's no place they can't attack. And, boy, when an offense has can do all of those things, when you can challenge vertically and horizontally – offensively in college football, that's when you have it. And this team can do those things. So offensively, it's going to be scary where they go. Defensively, um, that it's it, I've never seen a young group like this. Uh, this is the most aggressive defense. I mean, they're playing press man on the outside. Hooker is flying around like a maniac. Um, <laughs> Lattimore is baiting you know Baker Mayfield into throwing picks. Jerome Baker comes off the bench, gets a pick six touchdown. Um, I mean, it's just like, what in the Sam Hubbard just wreaking havoc? Right. What the hell are, is going on? Like, you're not supposed to be this good. And, yeah. and you know, we, we, use, we say it in jest, and it, to me, it's the best analogy I can come up with. It, to me, they are Ramsey Bolton's starving dogs. Like, they have, these kids have sat in the kennel for a year waiting to play and not been fed. And they watched as Darren Lee and Joshua Perry and Von Bell and Tyvis Powell and Joey Bosa and all those kids got fat and Eli Apple got fat eating prime rib and they just had to sit there and freaking salivate. And now it's time to freaking eat and they are eating. And I, I have never seen a defense in the 10 years I've been around the Ohio state program. I've never seen a defense cumulatively be this aggressive, this fierce, this fearless. And I mean, they, this defense has more swagger than any Ohio State defense that I've covered. This goes back to 2007. I've just never seen a defense like this. Yeah, and, and you said it with the, especially with the secondary. Like I, one of the things that I'm most impressed about, especially with guys like Lattimore and, and Hooker and all these other guys, they're not reckless. Like they they are they are going at 110 miles per hour at all times, but it's smart. They are exactly in the places that they need to be. I mean, talking about like baiting guys into. To interceptions. I mean, Baker Mayfield's an experienced quarterback who, that's at this right, point, is right. supposedly really good at reading defenses. And those guys just sat back and said, "All right, we'll let you do what you want to do, and then we're going to make you think that we're not going to be where we're going to be." And and they just took that away from him all night. I mean, that was just. I was really, really impressed by how well they have been coached, but but just how smart they are. And, and being able to shut down a lot of the things that other teams want to do uh, in terms of the big plays and whatnot. And then, of course, when they're trying to, you know, do some of those makeup plays where they take some risks, they immediately make the other team pay. And that's that's veteran play out of a non-veteran defense. And that's what I think makes Ohio State so scary at this point, because you're looking at a bunch of guys with not a lot of experience that are playing like they're juniors and seniors. And that's, you shouldn't, You're exactly right. You shouldn't be this talented and this savvy. Right. Usually that comes later. I mean, not in your third start, not in Norman, not against Mayfield and Piron and Mixon and the rest of the characters they have. I mean, you shouldn't be this talented and this savvy. That rarely happens. And 
I don't know how they've done it. <laughs> it's tremendous coaching by Luke Fickle, who deserves a ton of credit for for the defense he's putting together. It's a ton of credit to Greg Schiano. The two of them clearly are on the same page. Um, but this was a, I mean, man, that is just a ball hawking defense that flat out gets after it. And right. I just hadn't seen it. I mean, I haven't seen it. I, I don't know what they're going to be, but I've seen some great defense at Ohio State. Uh, this one has a chance to be, you know, an all timer. If can you consider their youth? If these kids can stick around, and uh, because wow, I mean, we just I just have never seen this type of playmaking ability out of a defense. They're they're incredible to watch, and it, I have a feeling it's only going to get better because the talent's all there. Um, bye week this week. Before we uh, before we transition to that, though, we wanted to get a couple of things. Your your take on a couple of things that uh, I noticed in the telecast of this. Number one, um, did you see the question, the Q and A between Dave Wanstat and Urban Meyer? I heard about it, but I didn't get a chance to actually watch it. So, so Wani, I've got sort of a very little soft spot for him because he's a Bears coach at one point, and right. although Cutler's basically ruined any Bear fandom I have, I don't even care if they play or not anymore. But um, yeah, Wanstat's asking Urban the questions, and the reason I bring it up is because we were on the television show today. We were doing it down in Columbus, and. Um, off air, I asked Zach Bourne, who does, by the way, does a fantastic job on the TV show. And, and I asked Zach, I said, is there any weakness on this team? And, and he was like thinking. And I said, cause it was supposed to be youth. You know, it was supposed to be youth. And right. we're like, well, that's not a weakness anymore. Cause they're not youthful anymore. Like they, they went to Norman and one and he's like, no, not really. And, and then I started to think like, we started to think like, what would derail this thing right now? We've been talking about this for a while, but I mean, you know, I, I've brought this up before that I really believe Urban has this the way Alabama and Saban have it. You know, that's really what we have right now. We're next right, man up. There's just a million go. redundancies in the system. And it, yes, exactly. And and then how? Then I started thinking, well, how long can this go on? And the reason I brought up Wanstead is Wanstead asked Urban. He said, "You're 52 and." or whatever Urban is, you know, in his time at Ohio State, he goes, and he goes, do you, do you ever think, and Urban, what Urban thought he was going to ask him was, did you ever think you would do that? And Urban starts to answer, no, 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 of course not, with a, kind of a smirk on his face. But then what Wanstead did is he, what he didn't, he finished his sentence, and what he said was, do you ever think about the NFL? And the question to Urban threw him off. He's like, well, that's a silly damn question, because of course <laughs> it is. Like, why would you be asking me that and previewing the Oklahoma game? Like, of course, Urban's not thinking about the NFL now. You know, you want to ask him that, ask him that in the offseason. But, the, you know, Wanstead's a moron, so it makes sense. And so he goes, <laughs> Urban goes, he's, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically says, never say never, but it's not on, on my mind at all. You know, it's never not on my mind at all. And I was thinking, like, what would ever, would there ever be a point where he would bore of any of this? Would you, would he ever bore of just winning? Because they're going to just continue to do this. I mean, you see what they're doing in recruiting in 2017. We had a great segment with Andrew Linder, a recruiting guy today on the show about it. We know they got Emory Jones coming in 2018. Like, this can go on for a very long time. They can be at this level for a very long time. And, and I just wonder, like, will he ever bore of it? Will he ever say, you know what? I've never, throwing my hat in the ring in the NFL and uh, you know, the, the Colts job and Andrew Luck sitting there, I'd love to be able to coach Andrew Luck. I'm just high pop. I mean, it's total nonsense, but sure. just thinking out loud, you know, what, what would derail this thing? And that's the only thing that I think could is if, if there was ever a part of him that would, you know, dip his toe in the NFL waters. I don't know. I mean, I, I've thought about that obviously just because, you know, I have bad dreams and sometimes <laughs> thoughts pop into my head, you know, like I wake up in night terrors and stuff. 
Sure. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I mean, the thing is, I mean, I think it's especially funny that Wanstat's asking that question. He's like, "Could you?" Oh, do I know. You know, like, <laughs> would you be Want able it. to have success as a college coach going to the NFL? Because clearly, it's impossible. <laughs> um, but the thing is, I think some people, I think some people view the NFL as the end all be all of coaching in yeah. general. If you're a football coach, then you must go to the NFL. If you're successful in the, in the college ranks, then you must at some point try the NFL because obviously one is better than the other and one is more There's difficult. There's no doubt that's how it used to be because the money was so different. Right. And, and I, I think the, now that's all changed. Yeah. And I think to a certain extent, maybe the exposure and, and maybe how people viewed the two, you know, kind of levels. But I, I do think that's changing. And I also think that, you know, I think there's something to be said for being the best at what you do with what you're doing at the time. And I don't know that Urban Meyer has to go to the NFL to prove anything to anybody. I don't think no. he has to go to the NFL and like take on the Browns or some terrible oh, team good Lord. and coach them that six wins, you know, to, to make people go, Oh yeah, he's a pretty good coach. Like <laughs> we know he's a good coach. He doesn't have to prove that to anybody. And, and if he makes that decision, uh, it's going to be purely because he just wants another challenge. I don't think he'll get bored with this. I think he genuinely enjoys coaching and developing and mentoring, uh, you know, college and, and high school kids. And I, I think that's, I think that's sometimes an underrated component of this. And yeah. I remember there were a lot of people talking about, you know, Jim Harbaugh. There's no reason why Jim Harbaugh would ever go back to college oh, ranks. He's already yeah, at the of pinnacle of the game. And it's like, it, there's more to it than that. And And while yeah. I think that Jim Harbaugh may eventually go back to it, I don't think it's just this pure, like, you know, A or B kind of decision. It's it's not one or the other. Sometimes it's a more holistic, more, I don't know, natural decision than that. And I just, I don't know. I don't personally see him doing that anytime soon unless no, there was either. like a real need from him personally. Yeah, and you never know what a man's going to think or what's going to inspire him or how he's going to go. He's certainly young enough that he can chase it down the road. Um, but really, there are a few jobs in the country, Ohio State being one of them. Obviously, Michigan's one of them. Austin and Texas is one of them, and USC. I mean, there's certain jobs in the country where you can have such a great life. You know, it, yeah. it's it's not like you're stuck in Starkville or Gainesville or <laughs> you know Tuscaloosa. Some of these small little college towns where you're under this incredible microscope. Obviously, Urban Meyer is the most recognizable man in Columbus, Ohio, no doubt. But at the same time, he can probably have some pretty good anonymity. I mean, he lives at Mirfield. He lives behind a gate. Like you can't get to him. He probably goes to dinner at the club. He probably goes, there are probably all sorts of places he can go and live a relatively normal life and not have to be bothered. And, and, you know, that used to be, you know, I have to go to a big city for that. Well, Columbus has become such a metropolitan place that, you know, it's very easy, I would think, for him to live a very high quality life and, and continue to win. I, I don't see it. I thought it was interesting. And I was clear, it was interesting to me the way that, you know, Urban thought he was asking one thing and Wanstead asked him another thing. Um, <laughs> One other thing on the Fox uh, broadcast, that's the first time that I've watched a Fox broadcast at, you know, not, I've been at tons of games where they broadcast specifically the big 10 championships games, but I've never watched one. Mm. Gus was great. I loved his line where he said when Ohio state was up like, you know, 30, I don't know what the heck it was like 30, what would have been 35 to 10 or something like that. And he said, 35 to 10, the, like he's, that was a great call to just say the, instead of finishing it. I thought that was so balls of him to do that. Yeah. But the amount of commercials they take, Johnny is outrageous. Uh, Fox has to take more commercials than any other network. I've never in my life sat through a game with that many commercials ever, ever. Fox, Fox has always viewed football as a commodity and in the way that I think a lot of other 
I mean, obviously it's a commodity. Obviously it's something that, you know, sure. all these channels are it making. It was money. awful. But they don't, they don't have the, I think the buildup maybe romanticized view of it that maybe something like NBC might have, right? When they're showing. Right. Notre or Dame CBS with the SEC. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, no, it, it's they're, the it, same it, base package that they use for the NFL. And it's like, well, this is football. This is a product. This is how we show it for right. the NFL. We're going to translate that over to college football as best we can. Yeah. And I don't mm-hmm. really think they've developed anything natural around the college game like there it, it really does feel with like the robots and the you know the yep. like the electrical crap and the i never stuff thought about that but you're right yeah it just it just feels like they've they've copied and pasted what they do for the nfl to college and, and that's why it feels a little unnatural and i just i don't like watching games on fox if i can avoid it um i do too i guess i never thought about that thing but it is a half-assed way of going about it isn't it yeah and yeah, it doesn't there, you know it doesn't feel special of you that's solid of you to pick up on that as a viewer, because I mean, I was in the business. I never looked at it that way, but if you as a viewer is seeing that, that's a big problem for them. Like they can't, they can't have that. Like they need to make, you know, they're paying a lot of money for this stuff. They've got it. And it, you're right. And when you think about it, like they've always done it with talent, like they haven't put their best people on it. I mean, Gus is one of their best people, um, you know, but they don't, they don't, they're usually not their best people on it. Their best people aren't doing the pregame. You're right. That, that's a really interesting point that it is kind of like, yeah, this is football too. So here we go. It's an right. interesting way of looking at it. I've never thought of it that way. And hmm. when you, I mean, that's the other thing though. When you ask people, you know, when people want to know, I guess, when or where the games are going to be broadcast, and you tell them, like, oh, well, it's a Fox game this week. I mean, what's the reaction? Is it like, yes, it's Fox? Or is right, it, oh, no. crap. Well, at least we get to listen to Gus, and then everything else is going to be god-awful. Like, it, yeah. that that can't happen for them, and especially since they're, you know, really dipping their toe into kind of extended sports coverage. I feel like they actually have to figure out how they want to present these different sports. It's not just college football. I mean, it's, it's soccer and it's a lot yeah. of other sports that they're trying to oh, pick they, up on. They screwed up so bad on international soccer when they had yeah. the Blake. I mean, right. that was and, and a disaster. And, and that's got its own, yeah. you know, really embedded culture that people expect and they want to see when they're watching the game. And I don't Absolutely. think they... worried about them for the World Cup, too, because I think they'll botch that. I mean, you guys done a great job the last couple of World Cups, and I think they'll botch it. All right, we got time for a commercial break. Um, the Dubcast brought to you by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. The czar came through. Finally, through. what did he get you? What, what do you got? Uh, he, he took care of me. He got me the uh, undefeated uh, out of conference. William Thanks. Tecumseh Sherma, Sherman, and then he got me the 11 Warriors. He took care of me, gave me the 11 Warriors logo t-shirt. So we're in good shape. Oh, good. Uh, but you should take care of it too. And I believe he has some things in the hopper. So Yes, we're, we're working on a lot of stuff actually as as yeah. we speak. So we're going to try to get some things out there the next couple of weeks and you guys can can rock yeah. that once Big Ten season starts. Yeah, very, very excited to get some new stuff out there. So uh, check out Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. By the uh, way, the Bo, we week- to interrupt. I, I just got no, no. one more thing. You may not know yeah. this about me. So obviously, you know, I'm a social studies teacher. Um, yep. I know more about William Tecumseh Sherman than probably anybody <laughs> in about... No, I'm not kidding. Then, with awesome. the exception of some history professor at Ohio State, probably more than anyone in about a fifty-mile radius of Columbus, Ohio. I am not joking about that. Now, so, how? Um, now, did you? How? How did? It, how did? How did you come to find all this? I took the, the best I can reason. do. The best there's, I can do on this is I took I took a class in college that was uh, all it was was a Civil War, but it was just one class, so it was nothing uh, like what you've done. Yeah, so I I was obsessed with the Civil War from the time I was a real little kid. My dad had back surgery, and he was laid up in a hospital bed in our living room for like a month and a half or two months. Okay. And we watched the Ken Burton Civil War series, and I watched the entire thing. How good is Shelby Foote? How good is Shelby Foote in that? I wanted to be Shelby Foote. 
That was he's that dude was my hero. Like some people watch like Captain Planet or GI Joe. Like, yeah. I wish I could be Shelby, Shelby Foot. I it's um, funny. I, I went in a real quick interjection. I went in a YouTube yeah. hole, and all I did was w- watch interviews. Of, probably about six eight months ago, I just watched him can, being interviewed like for probably <laughs> two hours on anything. Like he could tell any story and be the most interesting person in the world. I, I yeah. but I, you, when you said Ken Burns, I he immediately jumped in. Continue, sir. No, no, it's fine. Shelby Foot's got that beautiful like molasses accent. Um, it's just the world. Crazy. Yeah, the world is lesser for having lost that dude. He was he was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Anyway, so I watched the entire thing, and I was like probably seven or eight years old when it first aired, and um, I was you know I got more interested, and I actually we my dad bought the book of the Civil War documentary series, so I read through that entire thing, and you know when you're a kid you want to find out more about like interesting people or whatever, and mm-hmm. I'm a weird kind of I was a weird lanky twitchy kid, and I talked too much. And I learned that William Tecumseh to Sherman was very much the same way. What's more, William Tecumseh to Sherman's from Lancaster, um, right. so very near Columbus and somewhat near Middletown, at least in terms of a universal distance, sure. I guess. Yeah. And he was born on February 8th, and I was born on February 9th. So I felt that Good I had Lord. a kinship with He's your spirit animal. General. Say again? He's your spirit animal. Yeah, well, and, and you know, I, I felt that I had this profound mystical connection. Sure. When it was a Sherman, so I did everything I could to learn everything about him. I've probably read about, I don't know, 10 or 12 biographies. I've read his memoirs several times. Um, what I'm saying is if you want to start a separate podcast about William Tecumseh Sherman, I am all for that. We can definitely get that. Maybe we should do that. I, I would love to. I would love. You know what we could do in that is you could play. The, maybe we could make your fantasies come true and you could play the role of Shelby Foote and I'll play the role of Ken <laughs> Burns. And we can do it that way. That might be the way to do that. I would love uh, that. No, yeah, that that's that's such an interesting time, and so many characters, and the, and I suppose they were became larger than life because they're, you know, they're. It's almost like that that game you play as a kid, the the game where you where you tell a secret, and by the time it gets to the end, oh, it's totally yeah. different. Because right. most of this stuff is just being told by story. We have obviously great history, but I mean, the way that these people tell these stories make these people even bigger and bigger and better and better. Um, yeah, it's it's fascinating. So. No, I, I would I would actually love to do a uh, a William. Maybe we'll do that in the off season. The Czar will be pleased. With that. Tell him we'll turn that in. Hey, here's your here's your dubcast this week. It's on William Tecumseh. <laughs> uh, There's a lot of excellent stories from his memoirs too. We could definitely. I believe it. it. Yeah, absolutely believe it. Um, one thing I wanted to get to off topic, but um, from the standpoint of Ohio State, it's bye week, and I'm up here in Cleveland, and this this thing is just swirling like crazy about Paul Hoynes and the Indians. And um, if you if you're not if you're new to this. Paul Hoynes is a longtime beat reporter for the Cleveland Plain Dealer who uh, covers the Indians and has for years. He wrote a column over the weekend. Now, he's a beat reporter, but he wrote a column over the weekend saying that when Carlos Carrasco got hurt, the Indian season essentially ended, that they cannot win the World Series. Well, this got to the players, and Trevor Bowers was the first to say to basically call Paul Hoynes a coward because Hoynes didn't show up to work on Sunday. Uh, it was a scheduled day off for Hoynes, as we found out later. Um, the Indians took it that he was dodging him. Kipnis fired at him, too, on social media. And then the plain dealer has fired back and said Hoynes can write whatever he wants. And they've I mean, it's just a bunch of grandstanding nonsense now. Plain dealer sticking up for their guy. The Indians sticking up for their people. Fans are stuck in the middle of this thing somehow. This happened on the same weekend that Bob Hunter, who's a guy I, I know and en- have enjoyed and has been nothing but kind and great to me when I was in Columbus. I enjoyed almost every minute I was with Bob Hunter. Great guy, but a very old school guy. And Bob wrote his final column in the Columbus Dispatch. And in the column, 
he wrote that essentially he wasn't ever rooting for anybody that he wanted to he wanted to make deadline and he didn't right. want to you know work until 2:30 and that's the way that that job newspaper especially that job was always viewed as the newspaper guys they were always worried about their deadlines cuz they had a newspaper to print right right but the two stories the two two different things bob hunter's final column and then paul hoynes's back and forth with the indians it just kind of illuminated to me the idea of what exactly do fans want from the media because there, there is this for years and in journalism school, when I was going through it, you know, almost 20 years ago now, you know, it was unbiased, um, you know, tell it like it is, don't root for anybody, but almost every place I've ever worked, they instruct you to root for the home team. I mean, the, the home, the people you work for when I was in Tallahassee, it was less when I was in Columbus, it was astonishing how they, you know, recommended us to wear scarlet and gray. Uh, I had to once write an apology letter because I didn't put JT Barrett on my Heisman ballot. I had to respond to an email that I didn't put JT Barrett on my Heisman ballot and say why I didn't. Like I had to justify my freaking Heisman vote to a viewer. Like it was crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. That's that's the way Columbus is, though. I mean, yeah. that's the way Columbus is a very hometown team, and Cleveland's like that too. I mean, they most of the people up here in the media pretend that they're big, huge fans of the Browns and the Indians, and maybe some of them are, but some of them it's BS. Um, but I'm curious from your perspective, because the feeling I always had, I guess the way that I left Columbus, the feeling I had was that the fans really wanted it, wanted it, wanted from us that it hurt us when Ohio state lost, that we were in it with them, that, right. that we were essentially insiders, but that we were in the fight with them and, and everything that's happened over the last two weekends, it just kind of brought it up. And I'm curious to get your, your kind of your thoughts on it. I think that's. I mean, we were talking about this a little earlier. I think it's a really fascinating question. It's something that I've struggled with for a long time because, you know, I, I feel that it is part of our responsibility as a website for 11 Warriors to not necessarily be unbiased. We can't be unbiased. I think that's silly. I, I had a discussion right. with a history professor when I first got to Ohio State, and I was talking about bias, and I wanted to be this pure historical student who would be like, you know what, I'm not going to have bias. I'm going to just take every single sure. fact as it comes. And the professor looked at me and was like, you can't do that. It's impossible. Like, you're a human being. You have a bias. Right. Like, it's just, it's in, it's implicit. It's inherent in everything that we do. And he was 100% right. And so when we talk about Ohio state, when we report on Ohio state, you know, I'm a fan of Ohio state. I went to Ohio state I have two degrees from the university. I love the place. I'm living Columbus. I can't pretend right. that I'm not rooting for the team, but by that same token, one of the things that I've always been afraid of is us evolving into the type of site, which I don't think I'm not worried about it happening, but it's just something that I would never want us to do, but evolving to the type of site that only roots for the team. Like we can't be critical of a coach. We can't question a decision right. that an administrator makes. We have to be able to do that because, you know, as we've seen at other schools and even at Ohio state, you know, there have been some critical mistakes made and a whole wide array of issues. And I just remember one specific thing. Um, when the Yahoo uh, sports report came out about Jim Trestle, I mm -hmm. was, I, we, I was writing the skull sessions at the time. Uh, now DJ takes care of him and it's, it's amazing and he's way better than I was, but I had to write the skull session the day after that all came out. And yeah. I essentially had to write about 500, 600 words about, you know, I understand you guys are probably upset about this. I don't believe they would put out something this damning with nothing behind it. And yeah. I had to be able to say that. And I, I think the point that you make where, you know, you've got to have that connection with the fan. And, and to me, that's more honest when you say, like, I'm right there with you and, and when your heart's breaking or when you're celebrating something. But you also 
have to be honest. You have to be able to be honest. And it's hard to say because obviously, you know, I wrote something else a a few weeks ago comparing Jim Trestle's uh, recruiting to Urban Myers. And I said that Urban Myers is clearly better and it is. And I had people calling me out in the comments and saying, I can't believe you would say this about Jim Trestle. So it's, it's a fine line. And I think at a certain point, you have to be able to commiserate with the fans, but you have to be able to take them on and say, sometimes you may not like to hear this, but we got to tell it to you. And that's yeah, a I kind of, fine line to walk. Yeah, it is. I, I kind of view it like a, like your children. You're always going to be harder on them, right? I mean, that's yeah. kind of like anything that I covered. I kind of looked at it almost like a child. Like now that I have kids, that's a ridiculous analogy because it's <laughs> never like a child yeah. at the time. That's the way I viewed it. Um, and what, what inevitably happened, I mean, I had no ties to Ohio. I made her, married an Ohio girl. That's the reason I got to the, came to the state. I mean, I had no ties, no, no, no dislike or like or anything. Didn't know anything. I mean, I have a very decent his, you know, handle. On, I've always loved college football, so I knew what Ohio State football was, but I didn't have any point of reference for the state. And inevitably what happened to me and probably many of the other guys who were on that beat is that we got to know the people in and around the program. You get to know Archie Griffin. You get to know Clark Kellogg. You get to know uh, Dan Wallenberg or Jerry Emick or Gene Smith or Gordon Gee, or you start to get to know these people, you start to get to know the fans. And then the real connection happens when you start to get to know the players. Like I've known Joshua Perry since he was a kid. I used to hug Joshua Perry's mom and dad after every game. I mean, I've known them forever. And Darren Lee, my God, his mom and my wife worked together at channel four in Columbus for years. I've known Darren Lee since he was in the eighth grade. So that's where the connection starts to happen. And that's when you start to, you can't help but root. I mean, Ezekiel right. Elliott helped me potty train my, my oldest son for crying out loud. Like, <laughs> I mean, so, so th- those relationships, uh, you can't help but want those kids to have success. By and, the way, I, I really want to hear that story. How, how did Ezekiel Elliott help potty train your son? <laughs> okay, I'll get back to that. Remind me. Okay. Uh, but, but what I was going to say about Hoynes and Hunter and, and some of the older guys is there was a time when that's what the media was to do. The media has changed. Even in news media, there's no such thing as an unbiased news media. It's everybody. We're all in business. Everybody's trying to make money. We all have bosses we answer to. The idea of this Edward R. Murrow, you know, voice of the person, the that that's there's there's so little of that left man i mean that's a sad commentary but that's the truth there's so little of it left and it's trickled into sports and and while you know bob had the perspective he had and that's what he chose to write in his column and i respect him and love him and and uh always was a great guy to me and hoynes did what he did and was it unfair for bauer and kipnis to go at hoynes Uh, i don't know i think they have that perspective too and paul's gonna have to go in there and answer for it whenever he he's gonna have to go face those guys and do interviews and he's he'll he's fine he'll be able to handle that this is all about entertainment, right? Like people, it used to be the only way you could get your news is, is your Sunday paper, right? Like you'd get your paper. Well, now that's gone. People consume what they choose to consume. And it's up to us as journalists or, or people who uh, are in this arena to provide something that the fans want. Simple as that. And, and so that's something we, that you have to be cognizant of as, especially if you're of an age that was maybe, a generation at least older than me where where you're you feel like that that's not your job that your job isn't to have a pull here or a pull there but to be play it straight because i don't know that there's a lot of room for that and and however you view that i don't really care that's that's really where we're headed in media you know i know there's peers of mine who will say how dare you say that that you know there's still room for that there's not much (laughs) there's not much and i'm not saying you have to be a fan but damn it you better be interesting 
and, yeah. and they, the fan, the, the, the team you cover, the, the people who follow that team, they better care what you have to say or else you're irrelevant quick. I just, you know, I wonder about the friction between old media as and, and, and the people in old media who understand that this is changing, but they don't want to change or yeah. maybe they're, they're resentful of the, the change that's going on with regards to like blogs and other thing like that. I just right. remember Bob Hunter wrote a, you know, he wrote a really big op-ed after Urban Meyer was hired, kind of just mm-hmm. extricating 11 Warriors and other sites. I remember that vividly. Quickly. Yeah. It was very and, short-sighted. Yeah. And, and look, I don't have any personal animosity against Bob Hunter. I've never met the dude. I don't know the guy. But I, I do think it's very interesting how legitimacy is formed, especially when it comes to sports information and sports news, right? How do you, how do you build that cachet? How do you uh, prove that you are a reasonable website? Cause we've spent the last, you know, 10 years really trying to do that. And yeah. it's, it's fascinating to me, the pushback we've gotten in some areas and then how we've gotten access in other areas. And a lot of it is because of this friction between a, frankly a dying form of news media and another mm-hmm. one that's that's still struggling with its own issues but i think taking off in another uh sense so i don't look i i don't consider myself to be and maybe i should but i don't consider myself to be like hip deep in this i know i yeah. am but i try right. to be kind of an impassionate like outside observer or dispassionate outside observer but um it, it's just fascinating to me because i don't Ultimately, you want to do service to the story. Ultimately, you want to be able to present what happened in an interesting and entertaining way, but also an honest way. And yeah. that, that, to me, is the ultimate allure and difficulty of sports information. Because if this were, you know, like a story about a famine somewhere or a war right. or genocide or something, I, I would have no problem be like, this is... This is the news, and we have to be the sure. Edward R. Murrow type. But this is yeah. sports, all right? This is silly. Right. This is fun. Like, you should be able to be biased mm-hmm. a little bit and, and put yourself out there. And I, I think that's the essential part of enjoying this. So it's a, it's a crazy thing to navigate, man. And, and for you, you know, you've been in it for so long, and I know that you've seen this evolution take place right before your eyes. And I, I just think that's got to be fascinating. It was, and it is, it still is. I'm still curious where it's going, and I certainly don't pretend to know. Uh, I don't know what necessarily what the fans want and the readers want and the listeners and viewers. You don't know. You just, I think what you try to do is you try to be entertaining, and they, they hope, you hope that you, you strike a nerve, and that's the best that you can do. But um, I, I, it's changed. The landscape has changed. And, and I, I just, it, it was a really interesting week. I'd be curious to see what, you know, some of the listeners think about, you know, the Hoynes situation with the Indians. And, um, and then also, uh, you know, Bob's, Bob's final column. And, you know, yeah, I, I do remember that. I, I had forgotten about that when Bob said that about whatever bloggers in the base, whatever, like that was such <laughs> right. a, such a tone. I'm sure he regrets that he has to. And if he could be honest with himself, he has to admit that that was a very short sighted, ignorant take and spiteful too, frankly. I yeah. Mean, I remember that 11 warriors broke the story and anybody can say whatever I lived it. I was there. You guys, I know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> we all did. <laughs> People tried to discredit whatever, like you had it first, but that was it. I mean, and, and 11 Warriors had, has had a lot of things first. And one of the reasons why when, you know, I decided to get back into the Ohio State stuff a little bit, this was the natural place for me to land because I, I really respect the way you guys have, have gone about the site and every, and where we're going. It's going to be exciting. Uh, but, but enough about that. Um, we have, do we have some Ask Us Anythings, my friend? 
We do. We've got a couple of listener okay. questions. By the way, I, I would also encourage people to give their input on this topic because I, I think it's I would it's be too cool for us to too. talk about it. But I really want to see how people react to that concept. Yeah, just ask, I, just answer that in the comment section or wherever you want to drop us an email. Cool. I would just love to hear like, what do you want out of your, the coverage of your favorite sports team? What are you looking for? What are you interested in? I'd be fascinated by that. Yeah, so please please write in and do that. And you guys can can ask us anything at uh, dubcast at 11warriors.com or on the internet uh, on Twitter there um, at 11dubcast. So the first one's from uh, Asian Chipmunk, our good friend Asian Chipmunk, right. Alvin. Uh, Alvin wants to know, this is for you, Bo, uh, yep. which radio slash TV personalities do you admire and why? Oh, my favorite is Ernie Johnson with TNT. Uh, okay, he, excellent. He, he finds the perfect mix of um interesting without getting in the way i aspired to be what ernie johnson is that's what all my hope was anytime i do a roundtable show like we do for now for 11 warriors or anything i did on channel 10 with wall-to-wall sports or when i did the coaches shows or any of that stuff i aspired to be ernie i aspired to be somebody who could drop an anecdote in that was interesting but not steal the thunder from the people that that really you know that's a tough job that traffic cop job that he does especially right. with that show where that's lawless. <laughs> um, but he keeps it on the rails and that's a hard thing to do. And if you're in the, I think if you asked anybody in the business, who's the best studio guy, everybody would say Ernie. And the, the second guy used to be Chris Fowler. He was damn good at it too. But sadly he's gotten away from that and he's doing more games now, which I don't think he's quite as good. So I would say my favorite, uh, Ernie Johnson is who I aspire to from a, from a play by play. I always have a soft spot for Musburger and Uncle Vern. Those are my two guys, old school <laughs> guys. I love both of those guys. And from a radio standpoint, um, I, the two guys I have the most respect for, it doesn't necessarily mean that I love their shows or love their ideas. In fact, I disagree with them most. But I have the most respect for uh, Colin Cowherd's old show because he never, he rarely had guests. He did it by himself, and that's hard. It's hard, oh, yeah. and he doesn't take calls. It's easy to do what Feinbaum does and just take calls. It's hard to go for three and a half, four, four hours, three or four hours and not take calls and have very few guests and just keep coming up with opinions. I don't necessarily agree with hardly anything he says, but I do think I have a tremendous amount of respect for him because that's hard to do. And the other one's Levitard. I probably learned more from Levitard than anybody else because he was the first guy I listened to when he was just doing the Miami show that, that now he does so much social commentary. But five years ago, what he was doing was he was the first guy that, that as a sports talk radio host allowed you to laugh. Hmm. you know, before that everybody was have a take. Don't suck. Like now when I hear like Jim Rome show, when I listen to Rome show now, I just think it's a caricature. Like how can this guy take himself seriously? Like this many takes, he's got a hot, he's got a take on everything. That's so passionate. Levitard. When I first started listening to his show in Miami about 10 years ago was the first guy that would, that you could, that he would laugh it off and say, boy, I really screwed that up. And when, I'll be candid. When I first started my show in Columbus, I was, I thought you had to be cowherd. And I thought you had to be, and I thought you had to tell people they were idiots and you had to act like you knew everything. And when I, about six, eight months into the show, um, I started to listen to, and I started, you know what, this is not what I want. It's not honest to myself. I, I can't, I don't want to do a show like this. And I, and I learned a lot from Levitard about being able to laugh at yourself, admit when you're wrong, don't act like this is the most important thing in the history of the world. And, and for those two reasons, those are the two guys. You know, I, I'm really glad that question was asked. And I think that's a really fascinating response because I think there's definitely a perception of those guys as their shows are. And then 
on your side an appreciation for the crafting of those shows and just how yeah, and the work that goes oof. into making them. And people don't see don't that. What, people don't see that. Yeah. They just they hear I the guy what Cal like this guy's a jerk and yeah, and maybe they are. I've met Dan. I've never met Colin. Um, Dan's a pretty good dude. Um, Colin certainly has a really polarizing on a lot of things, but a lot of things he did were ratings. I mean, you remember, I don't know if you remember this, but he had this big feud with Aaron Rodgers that Aaron Rodgers wasn't a late quarterback, and then that year Rodgers won the Super Bowl. Well, the, the reason that he did that is because he was failing in Milwaukee, and he needed to get ratings in Milwaukee. He took on the Reds a couple of years ago, and that's because their ratings were dropping in ESPN in Cincinnati, and he needed to boost ratings in Cincinnati. Like, so I don't have a whole lot of respect for that, but the, the idea of going on the radio like he did for four hours and not taking calls and only having a guest for five minutes once an hour, that's tough, man. That's yeah. tough. I mean, and he changes topics every five minutes. Like, that is tough. The easiest thing you can do in radio is say 821-9710 is the phone number. That's the easiest thing you can do. If you hear if you hear a host say, give the phone number or say the other big crutch is, I want to know what you think. Mm. That's the easiest thing you can do in radio. That what you're basically saying is, I'm out of ideas. I don't have anything to entertain you. I need you to help me. And I right. do it. It, it happens. I do it because it, sometimes it's hard to to talk. I fill up fill in up here on 923. I got to do 5 hours Dustin Fox and I. Holy hell. I love Dustin and he and I can talk about anything, but 5 hours is a long time. You need calls. That's why I have so much respect. And then Levitar just totally changed the format to be able to not necessarily have to have a, such a strong take and be able to talk about all sorts of things. That Those would be the reasons. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I mean, again, from an outside observer, I know, I know a little bit about you know radio and how things work. My dad's a communications broadcasting teacher. And um, yeah. so I, I know I have a little bit of background. Like, I've, you know, I grew up like learning about this stuff. And I, I think for me, like when I was a kid, you know, I didn't really pay attention I guess too much to the studio guys. And I was always really interested in how play by play guys presented the game. Yeah. Like I know Vince Scully, for example, you know, he's, he's about guy, to retire. Right? And I, I always put a lot of like thought and wonder into how guys presented. And I was a huge, I am a huge Reds fan. So of course, you know, I Marty. Yeah. Marty and Marty and Joe. And you know, I listen to those guys constantly. And Marty, you know, at this point is, is a huge cranky, like, you know, he's just, he's a crank, but it, you kind of enjoy it a little bit. Um, sure. And I remember Joe Nuxall, like I loved listening to Joe Nuxall because it was like listening to my grandpa. It was just, yep. I, and I, I, I know now that there is a huge amount of effort and time that goes into crafting that. And I appreciate that. And I, I just, I find it fascinating how people develop that stuff. I was listening to, I know we're getting off on a bit of a tangent, but I was listening to NPR today and they had an mm -hmm. interview with Vince Scully and they were talking about his philosophy and, and what he tries to convey to the listener as he's talking about a game and as he's broadcasting a game. And it was just like, this is somebody who spent almost 70 years of his life, you know, trying to make an experience for the listener. That's and, right. You know, like I want to, you know, again, I, I try to put a little thought into this occasionally, but. Um, right. you know, I'm coming back from work. I've been working 10, 11 hours a day. I'm like, Oh God, we're going to talk about sports. And I love doing it, but it's, I am just fascinated by people who make this their life's work because it's, it's really storytelling. And I, I have oh, enormous respect level. for guys yeah. who do that. When you talk about like Scully at the highest level, another, one other show that was probably the, that I absolutely adored was Tony Kornheiser used to do, uh, uh his Washington radio show. Uh, after Cowherd replaced him on ESPN, Tony did a, just did a Washington show and now he has a podcast, but at the time it was just a Washington show that was fantastic. It had just a real feeling of community 
he'd have like the same regular people. It was just a great show. So that was another guy that was great. But yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of ways to skin a cat and a lot of different approaches. I mean, you can't, you know, Fine Bob's incredibly popular and has this huge niche. And Mike Francesa is probably the biggest sports radio host of all time. And he just takes, he has a couple, you know, real strong takes, but he just takes calls. You know, Mad Dog Russo just takes calls. Like he has a big rant off the top, then he takes calls for three and a half hours. Then he yells at you if you don't call him. Like the, the medium has changed so much. There's so many ways to do it. I, I So many program directors would say, oh, you got to do it this way. And I always think that's nonsense. There, there's Here's 15 different ways to do it. And they're all having varying degrees of success. So, there, you know, there really is no right way to do it. Radio, I mean, or TV, you just be honest to yourself. Yeah, no, that's, it's just, it's fascinating. And, and like I said, it kind of segs into the other discussion that we had. I mean, it's just right. how media is changing and how people consume it. I mean, here we are on a podcast, right? Like it's, right. it's just, it's incredibly interesting to me. Um, exactly all right, right, so the next question we had here, this is from Jason. Uh, he wants to know in an alternate universe, we're <laughs> we a super serious media discussion. In an alternate universe, which OSU coach would have uh, been the gr- biggest Grateful Dead fan? <laughs> oh, geez. Grateful Dead. Uh, it's got to be Tress, right? He's oh, kind of yeah. the only, I mean, I would think maybe like in some sort of weird world, he would go that route. That's a tough one. I, I don't know enough about Grateful Dead, to be honest. I don't know. I don't even know if I could name a song. I'm familiar with them. I understand that they were a really big deal to some people, but I don't even, I couldn't even tell you one Grateful Dead song. <laughs> I don't think people who enjoy the Grateful Dead could tell one Grateful Dead song from another. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe Coop. I think Coop would enjoy it now in his you know, later years. I think he'd be able to chill out. <laughs> Little, that might be, uh, you know, you do he would that. want to pay for the tickets though. I assure you. <laughs> um, all right. So I want to hit these, these last ones real quick here. Okay. Um, all right. So do you think uh, game day going to Louisville has anything to do with showtime uh, with showtime following Florida state for the season? Not at all. Cause one's Viacom and one's Disney. So yeah. they, that would have nothing to do with it. Agree. Uh, I think, I mean, I think it's a poor decision. I think Michigan state's the better game, but uh, you know, or excuse me, this week Michigan State again. I'm thinking of the the. Fall. Where are they this week? This week, uh, they are going to Tennessee and Florida. Florida, yeah, Tennessee and Florida. So hmm. I'm sorry, I was thinking so that's back. a CBS game. So that doesn't. Uh, there's nothing there. Yeah, they they should have right. went to Oklahoma, Ohio State. That was the game. There's no, you know. But Herbie Herbie and Fowler did the noon game. Like I said last week on the podcast, it's the first time that I can think of them doing that. Usually they're on to the best right. game. Most interesting. Yeah, so game. I was a little surprised by that. Um, last one here. This is from Tim. Uh, he wants to know: Would it be a good idea for North Dakota State to make the jump to the FBS? If so, can we trade Rutgers for them in the Big Ten? <laughs> no, it wouldn't. It would be a terrible decision. Uh, you can go look at uh, Idaho and Idaho State. Uh, Nevada's <laughs> had some varying degrees of success, uh, right? Exactly. But Idaho is a powerhouse one double a team that had huge attendance i'm very proud of my my brother's alma mater Mon- university of montana because university of montana has a sold out 30 some thousand seat stadium they sell it out all the time huge they win all the time won a couple national titles in the last 20 years or so maybe two or three um they're always good they have a ton of uh money and support and they have a good team and they could definitely play in the whack or something like that but they've been smart enough to stay in their lane and in doing so, they can compete for championships and they can uh, and, and, and it keeps the interest. I've seen too many programs. I mean, like Marshall's another example, like what Marshall and Marshall had that couple stretch when they were in the Mac. But I mean, Marshall's had a tough, tough run of it. Um, it's hard. Uh, no, I definitely think North Dakota State should stay exactly where they are and just go win championships and keep the passion up and keep racking up national titles. It's an awesome story. 
Yeah, and just win the occasional game against a Big Ten team, and I think that's pretty much all North Dakota State fans really want out of the Bison, yeah. right? Like that's <laughs> make us look stupid every couple of years, and I think that's yeah. that's totally fine. No, it's great. Uh, it's a great story. It's it's an even better story because Kirk Ferentz has got a huge contract extension. Right, right. <laughs> that's, yeah. That is never not funny. I look. You know, we were talking to Jacoby, and like, yeah, man, Ferentz has got this back on track. And I'm like, what are you doing to yourself? What are you doing? Please right. don't do this to yourself. <laughs> and it's just, you know, whatever. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So that's ask, that's ask us anything for this week. Right. Um, yeah. And, and definitely right, continue to submit those questions. All right. Good stuff. And uh, we'll be back next week for, for, the, for bye week fun. I don't even, yeah. know, I even So we have that to look forward to, which is nice. And yeah. I can no longer complain about uh, t shirts because the czar's taking care of it. That's all right. We'll, we'll find something else that you need. We'll get, how about hats? Be you want a hat? Maybe hats or hats. Can you imagine? He's be so pissed off. Now I got to get him a hat. Let's do it. <laughs> all right, brother. Good chat. Yep, absolutely. See, See you next, next week. week.